Hey, I'm Gina. And I'm Tara. This podcast is a view into our lives as moms, social entrepreneurs, and best friends who hold nothing back. We talk about all the things our world has tried to keep silent. Things like our bodies. And all the stages and phases we go through. Entrepreneurship, parenting. And how it all intersects with life. Each podcast, we catch up with each other, and then we interview someone who pushes us to learn something new. Stay tuned for after our chit chat when we talk to Miranda Bennett, the founder of the Miranda Bennett Studio. I am super excited today that we got to talk to Miranda Bennett. I knew you would be because she's like your fave. (laughs) One of my faves. I mean, I admire I admire her and everything that mm-hmm. she really does in the fashion industry, but also her work ethic. Yeah. Um, and, and her commitment to her mission and values. Oh, it's just yeah. like you can see it every day through everything that her and her studio do. And I know she has an amazing team that works really hard to that are also committed to the mission. Um, but I mean, I think what I love about Miranda and her aesthetic and when it comes to clothing, they're like lifelong pieces. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's a very calming, conscious, mindful approach to how you feel when you walk in her store, how you feel when you put her clothes on your body. Absolutely. It's like, it just really kind of like stands out from anywhere else. It doesn't feel like one in a million. It's like something very, very special and unique. And you also feel that when you talk to her. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I met her years ago and she was there checking us out of a sample sale and I was just kind of like chatting with her and thinking like she's just so down to earth and present and focused with every person that was there trying on her clothes. I mean, this was back in the day before her store and we were all like huddled in a closet mm-hmm. <laughs> trying different pieces on. And she was just kind of talking about what it was like to live and work in New York. And I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, I can totally, totally relate to this person. Um yeah, her pieces make you feel special too. It's like it feels good to move in them. Mm-hmm. Um, you just love the way you look. You love how you can like lay down and take a nap or go out to dinner. Like it's really gonna like allow you to be flexible. Yeah, um, and with I, what you're wearing and doing in it. I know. And as like a working parent, I feel mm-hmm. like that's so needed. And um, I don't know. There's. Some, I also love like I've bought a couple pieces of hers over the years and like have handed down some of them to my sisters. And there's something so beautiful mm. in that process. And like I'm saving a couple for my girls, like hoping that like they'll be into it. Because Zelda has now. I outgrown. totally do that. You and do. My <laughs> husband thinks I'm nuts. Like, no. oh no, these are special shoes. I'm going to say. And he's like, yes. you really think that the kids are going to want your shoes? I'm like, they will be retro. And <laughs> yes, Vintage. they are. T- totally gonna want them like are you kidding me and he's just like "Mm, okay meanwhile he has pieces of his grandfather's in his like closet that he doesn't wear but they're special to him but it's like he has his grandmother's furniture like it's the same thing no I was in when I went to college I (laughs) my mom's gonna laugh as she's listening to this story and just roll her eyes at me but I um, took a lot of her jewelry mm. and her like long hippie skirts that she had because I was like, you know, like back in college when I was like the like 
earthy wannabe hippie girl. Right, yeah. And oh my God, she had the best jewelry. Mm-hmm. And it was so special to have her pieces. Mm-hmm. And she also gave me this wooden box that is like has a hiding key, like a key that's hidden that you have to slide a certain part of the oh. box to get it. And inside are trinkets that she has collected since she was like 18, maybe. Wow. And old Did you find like a little bag of marijuana in there somewhere? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. And in the hidden pocket. Oh, no. <laughs> mom's old Mary J. It was like the SNL sketch. Where, like, you could put your butt in there. Right. No, it was like her old um, watches, her old rings, some like... Um, charms that my sister and I wore when we were babies. Mm, that's so and was sweet. Like, so now I put little trinkets from my like college years, my twenties, and my daughters. And it's like I'm gonna pass that on to Zelda and Una, and like when they get mm-hmm. older. And I just love this idea of keeping it going. So I'm like, just I'm so happy I stole her jewelry a million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Miranda Bennett is a pioneer of ethical manufacturing, local and transparent production models, and sustainability through design and materials. A graduate of Parsons School of Design and Eugene Lang College, Bennett's thesis and senior collection were rooted in local maker economies that eschew mass production and the exploitation of workers. Bennett began her career in fashion in 2006 with her first eponymous collection, designed, cut, and ethically sewn by woman-owned production facilities in New York City. Her current brand, Miranda Bennett Studio, highlights plant-dyed, zero-waste women's apparel made under one roof in Austin, Texas. A pilgrim of myth, Bennett is often captured by the invisible, underlying thread that connects us all. An awareness of this connection, and that no actions exist in a vacuum, is the foundation of her approach to fashion and environmental stewardship. Miranda, thank you so much for being here to do this podcast with us. Thank you guys so much for inviting me. I'm so honored to be here. Yeah. Um, so we've known each other for a while in Austin, Texas, um, just kind of through... Really, I mean, I've met you when at one of your sample sales, I want to say like six or seven years ago. It's been a long time. Yes. Um, And I immediately felt very connected with you when I learned that you lived in New York City at one point in your life. Um, Your love for fashion and clothes and just like your approach to your business. And so a big thing at Born Into This is we really like to talk about how creativity plays a role in entrepreneurship and reproductive health, which is obviously what we're all about here. And um, I noticed early on that that was a very big part of your mission as well. So it was really much, it's a very big no brainer for me when we were thinking about the creatives to have on the podcast, you were number one on our list. So we're so excited to talk to you today. Oh, man. I'm Well, I'm humbled to hear that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I would say that uh, for my 40th birthday, which was <laughs> at this point several years ago, I got a dress from Gina of yours oh, that I still wear to this I day. And I love it. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. That's yeah. really, really cool. Every, Special moments. <laughs> absolutely. The everyday dress is like, it's, you know, it's a lifelong staple to have in your closet. So that's my, that's my hope and my intention. So to hear that translated or echoed back is, is really, um, 
just a satisfying and moving thing for me to hear as well. And I love knowing that it's like gifted amongst friends. And Mm -hmm. I like to think of it as this little like, you know, kind of community of sisterhood when people share the apparel that they found with us that they love. So that's awesome. I saw that when we asked, um, in pre-show notes, what you were born into that sisterhood came up there learning and independence. Were these three words, something that connected you, um, to your vision for your fashion line? Oh man. You know, in truth, I had such a hard time answering that question. Um, I think in part because I was, I was going too literal initially. I thought I needed Mm -hmm. to have, you know, like a phrase, like figure it out or (laughs) something, you know, like that. And then I was like, Oh no, it's just like, what are quality, you know, quality sentiment. And, um, I didn't, you know, consider it in terms of that connection to my work now, but hearing the question, I definitely see, I see these little, um, kind of threads that do, do connect those two things. Um, I was answering really from a more kind of literal sense of being born into, um, and what my familial context was. Mm -hmm. And I grew up with two older sisters who were like very much like surrogate parents to me and kind of, um, really created the archetype for a lot of my female friendships as well. I find that that kind of, um, having that sisterly intimacy and, um, just kind of way of sharing, connecting, being real with one another, et cetera. That is like something I kind of bring into all of my relationships, um, including those at work. I mean, everyone on my team knows that I'm like seriously the biggest nerd on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, like independence also, um, I can see that connecting as well, just with trying to have a fashion line in an industry that, you know, historically and as recently as like when I first entered it as a college graduate, um, wasn't one that was really discussing, um, ethics around labor, um, ethics around the treatment of everyone in the supply chain, um, that goes into making the clothing, but also sustainability. Um, so kind of having to have this outsider perspective a little bit as I tried to navigate that, um, I think that is something that was a comfortable pocket for me to be in from the get go. Um, cause that was kind of how we were always kind of, you know, just a different, like didn't really always fit in, in a homogenous way with the communities that we lived in and stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah. For those who are listening that don't really know too much about sustainable fashion or slow fashion, I know there's a few different terms out there. Um, can you explain a little bit about what that is and the difference between what I guess would be called like considered more, unfortunately, be considered more mainstream fashion or what people think of when they hear the word fashion? No, it's a great question. And honestly, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where, um, it, these are terms that went from being very niche concepts to being very, um, suddenly like, you know, thrust into the mainstream and adopted by brands of all, all sizes, um, and used to talk about things that are, you know, minor to major. So it's really hard. I I would imagine, you know, especially from the outside to kind of interpret, like just even in terms of defining ethical versus sustainable, I think of ethical really to speak to the treatment of individuals, humans, people that are in any way having contact with the, um, actual like construction production, 
and distribution of the garments themselves or the product itself. And when I think of sustainable, I think really more of the environmental impact. So things like, you know, anything from the sort of carbon footprint of the product itself to the materials that uh, are sourced to make it to the methods by which it is transported, um, even, you know, things like where it's shipped from, what it's shipped in, et cetera, are definitely relevant to the conversation of sustainability. But I think a lot of that can be kind of window dressing for the product itself, which I think ultimately is what leads to a lot of this confusion. Because I think as we discuss sustainability in a larger conversation, um, there are certainly decisions all along the myriad of steps that go into creating and distributing a product that you have, you know, multiple choices within um, what packaging you do opt for, what materials it is made of, et cetera, um, what dyes are used to tint the fabric. But, you know, it's um, I think when we get into greenwashing and trying to understand this as a you know person on the outside of the industry, I think what gets kind of convoluted is like when we do focus too much on things like, you know, packaging materials over the product itself. Um, I hope that that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's just, it's interesting. And I, I, I don't know if you would agree with this or maybe it's just like we're in this shift in general, but has social media like Instagram played a role in like bringing more attention to sustainable clothing lines and ethical and sustainable clothing lines? Yeah. You know, I have this really unique experience because of my age and kind of the spaces that I've straddled of like, you know, being a professional pre social media as we know it now and post and not only a professional, but like a small business owner. And I would, I would say certainly it has. And I think the biggest difference that I've noticed firsthand is like when I had my line, um, my, my first collection that I was making in New York, um, and then ultimately the shop that I had in Brooklyn, I remember the day a friend came in and showed us Instagram, like on the floor of the the store. And I remember my, my first reaction just being like, I don't understand. Is it just pictures? I I had this very similar similar conversation about Facebook just last week. We were like, I remember the intern in New York city, her name was Kayla who came in and was like, you have to post something on your wall, Tara. And I was like, what is a wall? Totally. (laughs) It really is like such an interesting watershed moment right? and and to understand like you know we are in this age pocket where we've really witnessed Mm -hmm. these really incredible transitions where I think for for our age group like a lot of this stuff has had to be sort of adapted to or learned as a second language which is so fascinating when you get to people even you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years younger, where they have grown up. And this is this is just the space that they're in. And of course, it continues to evolve. I mean, TikTok, my oh, Lord, TikTok. Like, I'm, I'm still trying to understand yeah. it fully, but I think I'm finally getting there. Yeah. My husband's been helping me a lot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just so interesting that these are these entirely new ways of connecting. And each of these new platforms offers kind of its own take on that and its own unique twist. And I think with Instagram, what I really felt or feel is the difference in being a business owner is, you know, uh, and also probably the time that I came up, you know, in fashion school and directly after there was really this 
there weren't a large number of independent brands. And if you were independent, um, sort of saying things like, yeah, I literally made this in my bedroom yeah. or <laughs> I dyed this in my bathtub, et cetera, et cetera. That was like, not really something I felt comfortable sharing. Um, it was something I felt I had to kind of posture a little bit, um, that I had more of an established, you know, kind of business or, you know, just that these things that now I think are like these incredible avenues into seeing behind the scenes and really feeling a personal connection for the product as a consumer. Like these were things where as the designer, um, I, I, shame is like a hard word and I don't think it's that serious, but I do think it just wasn't a climate where we discussed things in that way and where we were that transparent. And I think what really shifted with, um, well, and I think part of that was, you know, for having your work shown, having your collection shown, they were so, so fewer options. And there was much more of a sense of like there being these gatekeepers to like, if you were going to get into Vogue, if you were going to get into the major publications that would sort of validate your collection, those were specifically the type of more institutional old fashioned with the F kind of worlds where you absolutely didn't want to admit that. Um, and I think what's really shifted is with social media, there's this democratization of um, direct connection to an audience without anyone acting as this sort of, you know, you can go, you can't. There's no gate. Um, there's the gatekeeping no, is, is yes, shifting. Yeah. It's still totally. there, but it's shifting and there's no right or wrong way to do it necessarily. Yeah. And it's like so fascinating to find that there really are sort of individuals, customers, consumers, these infinite niches that actually have been out there this whole time. Mm -hmm. And they were also not being served by what these more mainstream publications were showing them. So I think it's really opened things up in that way. Um, it's meant also, I think that there's kind of this decentralization of, you know, you have to be in New York or you have to be in LA right. to do this work because yeah. now you can share your work and your process from literally anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I think those are all things about the medium or about social media in general that are really empowering, really impactful. And I do think have, um, have paved the way for a lot of these, just a multitude of different kinds of brands offering mm -hmm. very different conversations around their products to, to be able to like actually thrive. Um, that said, I mean, of course, for any brand navigating it, it's, it can be very overwhelming. And I think as it continues to evolve, you know, it becomes established in these different ways where I think there can't, you can still face those sort of issues of like feeling on the inside or the outside of it, or, you know, really just not even understanding the medium or not having the resources to, to dedicate like, you know, a full-time team member to navigating it. Absolutely, That's a really tall order for a small brand. Um, but it's absolutely required, you know, that you participate in it. So I think it comes with challenges for sure, but it does. And it's incredibly time consuming and like the creativity that goes behind it. And like what we were just talking about before yeah. we, you know, like sat down to record, it's like the, uh, it, it, there's just, there's so many things you have to think about between the messaging and the pictures and like the cycling of the photos and like, is it a newsletter? Is it social media? Is what, what does it look like? And totally. I think that, um, it's definitely, it's one of those things as an entrepreneur that I find really difficult in terms of like, how much am I on my phone or my computer doing this work? And, 
something that I've noticed is that like you're like Miranda Bennett's studio is incredibly active on Instagram. Like you're really amazing at just like continuing to have a daily presence and putting it out there. But then your personal Instagram engagement is different, you know, and something I've noticed because I can kind of relate to that over the years of like being very forward facing in one way through uh, like our, our work and then being kind of quiet on my personal side. And I don't know if it's like my bandwidth, like, am I, or just wanting to not put myself fully out there and your company is your namesake. So can you talk a little bit about that? That's such a great question. And yeah, my personal Instagram is dusty and neglected. I'm like, I don't even know the last post I did. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And I think that speaks to my authentic relationship to the platform, you know, that, but I also think that there's an aspect of it that is, um, in response to feeling such exposure through the brand IG. So that, and I struggle with that. I, I, I really, uh, it's a big pain point for me that I have the amount of contact with, with the platform that I do now, Mm -hmm. I think because, um, it is, you know, on the one hand, this beautiful avenue for connection. On the other hand, it sometimes just feels like this unmitigated, like, you know, exposure to anyone and everyone's opinion about anything and everything very much out of context oftentimes. And that part of it sometimes can be really just like spiritually hard for me, like in the sense of, um, you know, being a sensitive person, being someone who left my own devices, I would work pretty much in solitude the majority (laughs) of the working week. Um, because I really am very depleted by contact with others, even though I enjoy other people so much, I'm definitely the, the introvert that has the capacity for being extroverted and then has to like really deeply recover from that. And Instagram is sort of this, you know, you just feel so out there and so exposed and so aware that like, you know, anything and everything that you say or post could be taken any number of ways. And I think that there's always valuable learnings there. Um, but sometimes it is like just mentally, emotionally, really exhausting for me. Um, And at the same time, one of the harder things to detach from completely, because as you said, like it's my namesake um, and it's hard to, to really um, to hand over that platform to someone else to speak entirely on behalf of something with my name on it. Um, But then at the same time, that personal connection, sometimes I think, you know, it, it makes the weight of the experience of navigating our brand social so much heavier then, um, if it could maybe be a little more detached. So I'm working on ways to relinquish parts of it now. Um, help me (laughs) (laughs) say prayers for me. It's not easy, you know, and it's also like, we're a tiny team right now. We're still really at reduced headcount, um, from COVID and, you know, it's like, it definitely falls squarely into one of those catch all categories that sometimes ends up on my plate because there's just so many nuances to it. And, really like no one else on the team has the bandwidth for it either, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to hear it's looking good. It looks great. <laughs> it looks really good. And I, you know, but just, it's all an illusion <laughs> for sure. <laughs> There's a very stressed out woman behind it. <laughs> you are not alone in that. And you know, it's really, we've talked a lot about that throughout the last year and a half in this pandemic, which I can't believe it's 
pretty much been a year and a half um, in this place that we're in. But as founders and, you know, something that holding space for something that is very dear to you, but also that like you are responsible for an organization, a company, therefore your team and your audience and your community, whatever that may look like, depending on the company. But it's just like what we've had to hold as founders in that space in the last year and a half is just something that I don't think anyone could really prepare for. I mean, none of us were prepared for a pandemic, no, but there's no way to prepare for you, it. We always hold that right all the time as we like, you know, since we've launched our, our companies, but it really was thrown at us in this different way. Um, and I think just witnessing change within change has been really interesting. <laughs> it's a good mm-hmm. word, I would say. But it's just, it's like, I don't know. I, you and I, we've had conversations about this over time, just being an entrepreneur and holding that space together. It's just, it's a different weight that I don't think a lot of people see or know. And it's very hard to describe. It's very hard to describe. It's very hard to sort of offer um, a snippet of what it feels like to sort of live with that or to have to navigate that. And yeah, I struggle with that even now on, um, you know, on brand communications, because it's like, yeah, the, the simple truth is like COVID is still very much an active challenge for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, it's affected everyone in different ways and certain industries more so than others. Um, you know, we could, that's a whole other conversation, but I feel like there is this, new challenge I'm discovering with it, which is like, you know, when you're trying to just talk about the work that you're doing and really, um, express the level of excitement and focus that you want on the real and true work of whatever your company is amidst like, you know, this caveat or this footnote of like, Hey, we're, we're, we're still doing this work, but it's in a very different space right now. It's in a very different context. And there are aspects of it that we have had to change specifically to respond to this set of circumstances. And quite frankly, like I'm, I don't really want to use the limited attention that the audience we have contact with through social, et cetera. I don't really want to use that limited time to talk about those challenges. Mm -hmm. So I really focus on the positive and I focus on the work and the output of what our team is actively generating right now. At the same time, I think sometimes it is, it's a disservice because it's like people without that insight, how would they even know the, the extent to which we are still very much having to, having to traverse this thing that is really deeply difficult. Um, and I think, you know, at the same time, there's just like how much this has elevated the kind of HR burden on small businesses where, you know, there's so much on the fly learning everyone's having to do as different bills pass, different recommendations come down from the CDC, how you patch that together with what your local recommendations are, um, and how, you know, even within Austin, within Texas, the state versus the municipal is Mm -hmm. very different, um, which is also very different from the national conversation around it. Um, so, you know, it's just all of that takes a lot of time and consideration and energy, and it's all really heavy. And, um, it's all really hard too, because this is something that's being, um, 
you know, there isn't a precedent for, I know we're also sick of that word, but it's like, (laughs) it's the only one that really addresses, you know, truly an unprecedented situation where there isn't a handbook. So add to that also this kind of aspect of everyone's just interpreting this myriad of information that's constantly changing as best they can and trying to apply it to their own work and their own stakeholders. And, you know, it's just, I, I think it's, if there's ever a time to, to kind of give businesses, brands, you know, different people a little more grace, I think this is still that time and we're still in it, you know, 100%, whether it's your, the person you're um, selling to, or the team you're working with, like everyone is experiencing this in their own way. And mm-hmm. I love that you say, give people a little bit more grace. Cause we all need some of that. Yeah. Yes. If, really, if really I could do. change the subject just a little bit, because yeah. what I'm so curious about is your creative process. Um, cool. I really <laughs> would love to hear like when you sit down to think of that next line, how does that start? Take us through that process. Sure. So I'm kind of non-traditional with my design process in that, like I was never a sketcher. Like I was never someone that even really was good at drawing. And, um, even from a super young age, like even from being a child, I would like make clothing for my dolls and literally just kind of figure it out, you know, like hot gluing things together. And then ultimately, um, my grandmother who had been a home ec teacher when we would visit them, which was really frequently, especially when we moved back to Texas, I would see them at least once a month. And, uh, she had this kind of corner in her back den that was just overflowing with like decades of these materials and threads and sewing supplies. And so I would just kind of dig around in there and So it was always like a very tactile process for me versus like a purely um, visual one. And at the same time, what I have kind of always held with like the visual and more abstract piece of it is really breaking down a pattern of how something goes from being three dimensional to two dimensional. I think that's such an exciting kind of um, just magical thing. Um, So when I am in the process of you know, thinking of new designs for the collection. Um, I'll often start, sometimes I'll like fold paper and kind of like almost create the pattern in miniature. And then like from there, translate that to fabric, translate that to something that would be full sized. I'll stitch it together and I'll actually put it on and see how that, you know, was that sort of transition from the, the, the two dimensional to three dimensional successful essentially. And then based on how it feels on me, I'll then go back and tweak more and more things. Once it gets to a place where I'm like, I want this to be on my body, then I'll literally just wear it for multiple days through different real life situations and sort of observe, you know, and in just a way of like, Oh, was that him wide enough when I needed to like jump over that curb or, (laughs) you know, was, did I feel comfortable sitting down or bending over in this? Did I like where this was hitting on my arms? Did I miss pockets while I was wearing this? You know, there's just all that kind of stuff. We always miss pockets, Miranda. (laughs) That is noted, noted. And you'll notice like all of our new designs. I do. I do. They have pockets. If something has a pocket, I'm buying it in more than one color. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm all about (laughs) that. Like uniform, like I found my thing and now I need it in every fabric and every color. Um, yeah. So for me, it's, it's always been more of a, like 
you know, kind of a combination of like the draping and the pattern making and the stitching um, versus uh, just sort of saying, here's my vision, here's my sketch. Mm-hmm. Someone please make this and we're done. You know, um, I also think for me, it's like, uh, I think because my clothing is really about wearability mm-hmm. and being things that you want to like reach for again and again, I'm that's where like my process, I think just makes more sense for me because it's really about like this marriage of like the aesthetic vision of it and the, the true experience for the wearer of engaging with it. Um, and I think it's also why I like really have always wanted to have our production in house because that was actually something when I worked in my first collection and in the garment center, I was like, you know, drafting and then handing these things over to be, um, patterned and to have the samples made. And I just sort of started to feel alienated from the creative, like spark that got me into it in the first Mm -hmm. place. Yeah, absolutely. My, my oldest daughter, Zelda does that where she like cuts up old socks and puts it on her, her like Barbie dolls, not Barbies, but they're like similar. Um, Don't worry. We're not going to Barbie shame. (laughs) (laughs) Barbie's doing great. I love Barbie. They're actually like the Disney characters of the Barbie. So it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like tissue Kleenex. I never know. Right. Um, Anyway, she loves making outfits out of old socks. And oftentimes I'm like, that wasn't an old sock. Like that's one of mine. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I I love hearing about that experience. What was the first um, item that you like you launched with years and years Um, ago? For MBS or for my first collection? Your first collection. Um, It was a dress called the Marie dress. And (laughs) it was um, like a kind of tank style strap that made a little yoke with like a scoop neck and then a sheared or gathered, um, essentially rectangle of silk that was like completely gathered with the gathering exposed on the outside of the garment with that came with a belt that you could wear with or without. And it was actually something that I, um, I created for my thesis collection, which was literally about a return to kind of artisan handmade, um, maker led, uh, products that did not have the sort of seasonality or built in obsolescence of the mainstream fashion industry. So I would do this, like this first style I did in like multiple fabrics with different treatments. Um, and then the next style, the Sophia was basically that same gathered rectangle, um, that, um, the Marie gathered at the, that yoke, but instead it just gathered all the way around the neck. Um, I wish I'll, I'll find some pictures of it and send them to you, but it's funny because I actually just found an old copy of my thesis and I was like, holy smokes, this reads like the description, like our mission statement like, oh, wow. of the brand now. And it was like really, really cool to like check in with myself then at that That's age and to, to be like, okay, this isn't coming out of nowhere. You know, this has always been the, the reason this has yeah. always been at the root of it. Um, but with the, that first collection, I would say it really, there are a lot of parallels with the current collection of MBS because again, it was like, the idea was like, these are pieces that will keep making season after season. We'll add some additional new styles. We'll right. like retire some things, but there'll always be this like core stable of bodies or styles that we like, we always kind of lean on. And with that idea that you could wear them, 
you know, from work with like a layer piece over it and then transition it for evening time. And at that time that was really informed by living in New York and you didn't get to get, you didn't get to go home, you know, you had a whole life in your giant bag. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You didn't get to, and you didn't want to, you were just running from place to place. I used to stop at Sephora to like retouch makeup. Right. Oh my God, me too. I totally did that. That was like the ultimate hack. Oh yeah. I think that's how I built my first like closet as like, or in my early twenties was like running from a job and not wanting to go all the way home to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. If I was in Manhattan Uh with a client and I would just stop at a store and I would buy a change of clothes and I would change in the fitting room and then check out with the tags being like, I'm ready to go to dinner. Here we go. It really is such a different, uh, different reality. And I think it's really special for anyone that's like experienced it because it Mm -hmm. does make you kind of see, see some of the stuff a little differently. Um, you know, not having like the trunk of your car even to lean on. So yeah, yeah. I love how versatile, your clothing is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like you've always thought about, um, reproductive health and like, you know, is someone going to feed their child in this dress? Um, which it's incredibly hard to find a dress that you could feed your, your baby in. It's like uh, most wearing our nursing dress right now. Yeah. It's funny. So many members of the team who don't have little ones love it because it's just so nice to be able to like open and close the neckline. Well, a lot of your items are also like very flowy. They feel good on your body. So you can literally like lay down and take a nap in it or go out to dinner in it. So I love that. I know that you're my favorite activities. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Eating and sleeping. I'm ready. Um, I know that you're launching, um, a new sizing rubric. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So this has been, such a long time coming. Um, and not to like go too far back, but you know, we, so we started as a one size collection and a big part of that was I was really working, um, from the development of the patterns to have like zero waste, um, designs. So using like the entire width of the fabric, for example. Um, and while that was, conceptually great. It in practice meant like, you know, depending on the fabric of the style, you could, you could have tried the same style on in one fabric and it was great. And then you try it on in a different one and you're like, Holy smokes, this is like a totally different fit or this doesn't fit me at all. So we tried first to just kind of have these like two sizes that would basically reflect the, the two extremes of of those different fits. Mm. Um, meanwhile, developing new products and patterns that we could use the offcuts of those garments to create products with as an approach to remain zero waste. Um, but the outcome of that just kind of led to even like, we just didn't nail it. We didn't stick the landing with how that came out. So we pulled all of those, um, we're like, we need to start from scratch. That is why like we've had, um, these like wild and crazy discounts <laughs> on the Muse and Everyday since January. Um, mm. because we just want to like really start from a clean slate. So, um, if those existing ones fit you get on it, they are still like 40% off, <laughs> but we are, um, basically we started a year ago doing, um, like actual, like going back to the drawing board, redrafting the patterns And then very quickly from that initial pattern run and the first samples from that, we started meeting with different women from our community. And we we basically put this call for fit test models out and 
had a survey and, you know, we're so like moved to have the amount of respondents we had and people that, you know, just also that people were willing to come in and meet with us in the midst of the pandemic. Um, so we had these very small, uh, masked fit sessions. Uh, our store was closed due to COVID at the time because Austin was at stage five. So it would just be me, our production manager and one model at a time. And we just took really thorough notes, photos, you know, not just notes on like where things were fitting in measurements, but also like the anecdotal, just like what was being mentioned, you know, uh, things like, I just, I've always had a complex about my arms. Like, guess what? Like every woman that came in had a complex about their arms, thought that their arms were freakishly large. You know, it's like, it was also this really beautiful moment of like realizing how much programming there is inside of all of us around our bodies. And it doesn't matter what size you are. Like we all carry that Um, and the most like incredible and moving feedback that like still gives me chills from it was just like multiple women saying like, Hey, thank you for including me. Thanks Uh, for caring about my feedback and my perspective. Um, I think particularly in the plus size sector of the market, there is this sort of, there has been an approach where it's kind of like, you get this teeny capsule offering of the collection Mm -hmm. or, you know, we we're going to have this here because there's market share, but we haven't really spoken to you about it and what you want. So we were hearing that also from a lot of the women that came in that was just like, Hey, you know, it's just, you kind of have one shot with us and we've been really disappointed like over and over again with what we've been offered because it's clear that there haven't been fittings, you know, that, you know, the neck doesn't actually close or I can't fasten the cuff or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that was all really informative. And we ended up doing three rounds of that, um, where like each, after each round of the fit test, we would implement modifications, test them out again. And then, um, you know, after that, we felt confident with just our everyday and our soon to follow the Muse styles. Um, we have those all completely repatterned and sized and the new size run, we have our own language for it specifically just because there's not a universal standard of talking about what a size two is or a size 10 or a size 20. I mean, and if you've had that experience, you go into like the gap and you're a size zero and then you go somewhere else and you're like a six and then you go somewhere else and you're like, you know, it's just, it's really uh, challenging. So we kind of just wanted to get away from preconceived ideas. Um, that said, well, you know, it's a work in progress and we're still really learning the best way to communicate this. Mm -hmm. So roughly what our sizes translate to it's, um, zero through five. And what they basically translate to is like a size XXS, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) that always trips me up extra, extra small or zero, zero Mm -hmm. to, um, about a four to five X or dress size 32. Wow. Okay. So we, um, we're feeling really positive and really like just internally so much excitement to finally get this in front of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically from here, we're moving on to another two styles from the collection and we're going to give every single existing style the same treatment. And ultimately this will just be the way in which all new styles are developed as well. Um, you know, the timeline for us is like slower than I would like, Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're just we're having to practice patience there, too, because we're just doing the absolute best we can with what we have right now. And the process of um, repatterning these, rewriting the instructions, getting the fittings done, et cetera, it just it takes time and resources. So we're we're committed to seeing this through all the way. But mm-hmm. we're just asking that folks are a little patient with that patient with us because we you know, it, it is going to take us some time, but we're we're getting there. 
That's amazing. I also heard that you're going to get into bridal. Oh, yeah. So that was like completely organic. We've had a lot of just like cool brides that have been like shopping the collection, you know, our standard collection. And um, in the past, we've had folks do like little modifications with us. We've had to kind of move away from offering as many of those just because, again, our team size right now. But, you know, we've just naturally been able to see these different women getting married in the knot dress and silk charmeuse and mm-hmm. the cassette dress and the muse. Um, and we've recently added organza, which Gina, yeah. I know, <laughs> I know you know about. I do um, know about that organza. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's such a long time coming because we it actually is. first had it in the collection. It was meant to join fall 20. And then oh, wow. that was the collection that never was with COVID. Oh. Um, so it must feel finally, so good for you to get that out there. Yeah, it really and truly does. So we've also been kind of reimagining some of our other bodies in um, the organza, which I think is so fun because it's like for a wedding that could feel like a really chic modern update to yeah, a veil. Absolutely. But then you could also wear it with like a bodysuit and a pair of jeans to work, you know, it's or really, to a meeting yeah. or something. So I, yeah, I love this idea too of, um, really taking our brand ethos of like knowing that you have something that was ethically and sustainably made, but right. also something that you'll wear again. Cause Absolutely. I, that was one of our very first, uh, inquiries we had about a wedding dress was this really badass woman who has become like a longtime ally of our brand and has since become one of our fit models. She was like, you know what, instead of spending $3,000 or however much on mm-hmm. the one big wedding dress that I'm going to wear again, you know, sorry, that I'm not going to wear again, right. um, that instead she took that budget and she did this like whole capsule wardrobe with us so and smart. used one of those pieces as her wedding dress and has since just, you know, it's she mm-hmm. got the everyday dress. So it's something she's worn a ton. And mm-hmm. I mean, her approach to the entire wedding was just as meaningful. Every single vendor was local woman owned, um, you know, just, it's interesting to think of your wedding as this avenue to really kind of showcase your values and, and really support the communities that you really care about. It's so, it's so amazing. And I, I recently went into the store and I noticed the whole wall of white yes. in the back and I was like, oh, that looks beautiful. Just, Thank you. it looks amazing. We're hoping to expand upon it even more. Now we have some beautiful photos to add and yeah, yeah. it's been really cool. It really stood out right when you like walk in the front door, it just like pops for you immediately. Oh, happy it's to lovely. Hear that. Yeah. And I want to take it back to we were talking about how you're so mindful about the reproductive stages and phases that a person could go through, you know, again, like the breastfeeding dress, um, and just the room that the dresses have. But I really feel like you showcase reproductive cycles, um, like forward facing, like that you always have pregnant models. Um, like, well, what would you call them in the store? Not models, but mannequins. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah mannequins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mannequins. You always have pregnant yeah. mannequins in the window, which make me so, it just makes me so happy. And you have, you know, a line for children for, you know, kids, small, small kids to wear small, and humans. small humans, teeny humans. <laughs> um, and I just like, you're always featuring parents and it's just like, it's always forward facing. Was that a decision that you made many years ago intentionally, or is it just something that organically kind of happened for you? It was just organic. It was, you know, the, the seeing, observing that the person purchasing our clothing, that this was a need that they had, mm-hmm. um, and kind of also following cues from our community, seeing that, Hey, the nursing, 
opportunity with the wrap top is awesome or, you know, or that it could be better in the everyday. Mm -hmm. So let's modify this dress style. Um, so yeah, I mean, one big kind of core pillar of the brand is really being there for all the stations of a woman's life, you know, so you can transition through all of your responsibilities, all the roles you play in something that will just support you every step of the way and really not encumber that. Um, so it was very important to me that like, even just addressing the changes that a woman's body goes through amidst all of those cycles. Um, when we first kind of were talking about our, um, nursing friendly styles, I, I'd kind of use this language of before, during, with, and it's like this idea that like, you know, you could wear this garment before that's even on the menu for you. You can wear it while you are going through pregnancy. And then you can also wear it while you're not only nursing, but also, you know, just experiencing the transition of postpartum life and how your body is changing and just have something that really feels nurturing and good for you to be in as so much around you is changing. It's like just to create a comforting constant. Um, so I think that was like, for me, the biggest part of it, cause I'm not yet a mother, um, you know, in that way, it didn't come from this sort of authentic need that I was experiencing, but just from a sensitivity to the needs of, of our community. I mean, and, and under that same umbrella, when we're talking about like, you know, inclusivity and forward facing and internally in our work, um, you know, you're very mindful and how, like, what kind of, you know, again, like how you approach making different styles of clothing, but also your models, um, in different stages of life, but different sizes, different, you know, ethnicities sitting in that space of inclusivity there, we don't always get it right. And over yeah. the years, I would love to hear about your experience with that and like the challenges that come along with it. I think, yeah, I think the biggest challenge with inclusivity is, um, is, well, maybe not even a challenge, but I think the biggest acknowledgement when you're striving for inclusivity is like, you're really never done. You know, I mm -hmm. think to understand that you without realizing it could be leaving out people. Um, you know, even if you've taken great pains to, to sort of showcase this one group or really elevate, amplify this one group, it's like, you're, you're really never done. It's going to always be a work in progress. I think we can still do better personally. And I mean, in terms of like how we, um, kind of sh choose who we share in our work, et cetera. Um, I'm always just looking to our local community here in Austin and, you know, we don't work with big agencies. We work with a lot of, you know, quote unquote amateur models in the sense that these are just everyday have, people, <laughs> everyday yeah. people who have everyday jobs. And, um, you know, that I see it as an opportunity to like, to really, again, use this as a vehicle to connect with our, our true community. And in, in that connection, really amplify those individuals. Um, so it's, it's kind of always going to be a work in progress. I mm -hmm. think, I think, you know, we can always take it further. And, um, I think though, for me, just the sense of how, knowing how powerful it is to see yourself reflected back to you, um, in a brand's campaign or in their IG or, you know, wherever their images are being shown. Right. Um, I think there's always more room for that. And I think we can, you know, all brands I think can, can really always take that further. Um, but just to remember, you know, the value of seeing yourself in that space, um, to not discount it or discredit it. And to know that like, 
there's just no truer way to say you're important to me than to, to really like to say you are how I can offer the best version of, of what our work is just by your wearing this. So it's kind of a big part of where that comes from for me. That's awesome. So Miranda, we like to play a game at the end of every episode with folks. Um, it's a game where we spin a wheel and you have to answer the question that it lands on about reproductive health. Do you Ooh, want to play? Okay. I, I'm so down and so scared, <laughs> but so ready. I know we always build it up in such an intense way. No, uh, I have this, like, anytime someone asks me something like on the spot, I'm always like, I, I don't know what my name is anymore. <laughs> so we'll see how I, I do. I often don't I'm know what, though. I don't remember what I say. If I'm talking in front yeah. of people, I get off and I'm like, what did yes. I say? That's, totally. that's normal. All of those things are normal. Both of you. <laughs> um, Thank you for the validation. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So let's spin the wheel. Awesome. Can you share with us one memory you have around your period and an embarrassing moment if there oh is gosh. one yeah sure <laughs> well first of all let me just share I got my first period my first day of starting my first like year in middle school uh, we had just moved from California back to Texas and like got in that night the next day I was starting school for the first time um also my first time being at like a traditional school really? and I literally got it that morning oh, and I was just like, that's too many firsts for one human yeah, to process. Yeah. So that's intense, but, um, you know, that was what it was. But the, I think the most embarrassing like moment was also that same year. And it was like one of those, like you sat in ketchup or whatever, oh. um, where like, you know, I had leaked through whatever the thing was and, was wearing like white shorts or something. Um, but gosh, it just looking back on it now as an adult and like thinking of little baby me at 12, Mm -hmm. you know, like feeling all of the shame and fear and all this stuff around it. It's like, it just reminds me how far we have to come with just understanding our cycles and like really not thinking of them as something to be embarrassed yeah, about, you know, I, I know. mean, that said at 12, like what aren't you embarrassed about? Absolutely. It's kind of more I know. of a situation, I think. I, so I kind of, I, I think a lot about this, you know, as like my oldest is getting older, you know, inching closer to getting her period and like reflecting on that time in my life. And you're right. It's like almost like a rite of passage. Like we're as humans having to learn the process of being embarrassed by something, but I had the same similar situation. I think everyone, every, you know, person who bleeds has a story like this of like, you know, the blood leaking through the shorts and someone seeing it. But I remember when that happened to me in eighth grade and for years when I get my, when I would get my period, I would have a hoodie in my backpack so oh I can gosh. like tie it around yeah. my waist if it ever happened again. Totally. It just Live like, it, learn it. Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. like, get the, get the pads, get the tampons, get the yeah. hoodie. We're good to go. Totally. <laughs> Uh, awesome well thank you for sharing that story and thank you so much for chatting with us today this was a pleasure i really thank you guys so much for inviting me and i'm so glad that you've launched this podcast i can't wait to subscribe and follow along i love you guys and everything that y'all do i can't wait to get into your store soon yeah yes please do come see us i'll actually be there today oh wow (laughs) yeah it was always a pleasure thank you so much yeah thank y'all 
Thank you for tuning into today's episode. You can find Miranda Bennett on Instagram at Miranda Bennett Studio and online at shopmirandabennett.com. As always, head to our website, bornintothis.co to learn more information about our nonprofit and to explore the items in our shop. Check out our book, Born Into This, A Creative Guide Through Reproductive Health, and be sure to check out our tote bags made by Bagu with artwork featuring Kelly Colchin. We'll see you next time at Born Into This. Oh,